In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Good afternoon, hello everyone. Uh, just wanted to go over a interesting theory that I have. I'm not sure if it's accurate, um, but it's something I've been thinking about, and it ties in with uh, a lot of books I've been reading. And uh, I'm sure there's millions of people that are way smarter than me that can maybe maybe make some sense of this or tell me if I'm on the right track or <clears throat> maybe just have some interesting thoughts about it. So that being said, here we go. Um, the first part of our journey begins with our friend Manly P. Hall, who was a bit of a bit of a uh, veteran in the mystery schools and some of the occult and some of the secret teachings and stuff. In fact, the first part I'm going to be talking about is his book, uh, Manly P. Hall, The Secret Teachings of All Ages. And uh, if you haven't picked this book up, you, sh- you should. It's, it's a really fun read. There's a lot of stuff in there. I'm you know, working my way through, but I find myself constantly having to stop and just put my hand in my head and be like, what? Really? Is this true? Is this really true? And then I got to stop and go and do research. And it's fun. I really like it and I really enjoy it. And uh, I'm, I'm mystified by the mystery schools and, and ancient knowledge and and all that. So that being said, there was a particular part that I uh, made me stop and do an experiment and I'm going to do it with you guys. So let me just go ahead and kind of paraphrase what he was talking about and and uh, set up the experiment and then we'll do it together. So he's talking about 
the Druids, and uh, a little excerpt from the book is, uh, the Druids were priests and physicians, curing by magnetism and charging amulets with their fluidic influence. Their universal remedies were mistletoe and serpent's eggs because these substances attract the astral light in special manner. The progress of magnetism will someday reveal to us the absorbing properties of mistletoe. Here's the next part that, I, that I, we're going to move on. We shall then understand the secret of those spongy growths which drew the unused virtues of plants and become surcharged with tinctures and savors. Mushrooms, truffles, gall on trees, and the different kinds of mistletoe will be employed with understanding by a medical science which will be new because it is old, but one must not move quicker than science, which recedes that it may advance the further. So I thought that part was fascinating. When he's talking about, first off, magnetism, healing with magnetism, and then he talks about how one day man will rediscover the healing power of magnetism, especially in mushrooms, truffles, gall on trees. You know, in I thought it was interesting because I recently read a a uh, study from John Hopkins, which probably a lot of you have read the same study. It talks about how they're currently using psilocybin mushrooms to, you know, help people with dementia, PTSD, and people that have had strokes, people coping with coming to terms at the end of their life. And when I read the passage in this book from Manly P. Hall, and it just said one day science will re-again discover the healing power of, of these particular plants. I, I just, I had to go back and reread the John Hopkins work and it just blew me away because for so long, some of these things have been taboo or not, for whatever reason, you know, they're, they, they've been classified as like a schedule one. Like that means that there's absolutely zero potential for help. And now that they're using them in, at John Hopkins, some of the best doctors in the world are, are using these substances to help. And the way they're doing it, the way that they're, the way that they're trying to understand the results, like it's, it's clear that once they've talked to the patients who've had PTSD, they can see a dramatic change in their behavior after one session. And if, if you're curious about that, you can go to maps.org and, and look up some of that research or just John Hopkins. And uh, what, what I found super interesting is the way, not only are they monitoring it through behaviorism, but you know, they'll, they'll put them in like an fMRI, which is the, you know, magnetic resonating resonance. And so that got me thinking, you know, I, I, I looked at the, I looked at the pictures and I looked at the images that they, they show the brain on mushrooms and, and they show the magnetic resonating images and, you know, parts of the brain are just lit up like a Christmas tree. Here's my Christmas tree. It's not lit up right now, but, uh, 
you know, it, so I got to thinking, you know, what is it about, how do they, how does a fMRI monitor the brain, you know, and how, how does that work? So I looked it up and I guess the M in fMRI stands for, you know, the magnetic part. And what, what it does is it, it measures the, the magnetism of the nuclei in, in hydrogen, then a hydrogen nuclei. So the magnetism of hydrogen nuclei. And so I said, wow, I guess, you know, the more activated the brain is, the more blood rushes to that part of the brain, whether it's the, you know, the frontal lobe or the, you know, maybe Broca's area or, I'm sorry, Broca's area on the, on the left-hand side, I believe. And uh, in the fMRI, it, it just shows the brain lighting up in different areas. And if there's more blood in the area, there's more water, there's more hemoglobin, there's more hydrogen nuclei for the magnetic resonance to pick up. So I thought a cool experiment would be to, uh, you know, actually grab a magnet and, uh, I think I have one. Just bear with me here. I have one here, this fancy dance, just a little small magnet. And I thought, you know, can you, can you replicate the little blurb that we had in Manly P. Hall's, um, in his in his book, the secret teachings of all ages, and you know, let's let's give it a whirl. So, let me set down my phone right over here, and you can see that uh, you know if we take if we take a a specimen like this, something that you may find in your yard or in your garden or your closet or something. I'm not sure, but. You can take it. Now, I know none of you guys can feel this, but I can. And, and you know, I, I hope you choose to try to replicate this experiment as well. But if you take it and you hold it by the end there, you know, you can feel just a little bit of, little bit of repulsion there. You know, I'm sorry, a little bit of repulsion there. You know, it's, it's slight, but it's there. You can definitely feel it. It's not as powerful as if you had two magnets, put them together. But, you know, you can definitely feel that there's something there. You know, it's just a, a slight repulsion. So I, I, I'm not sure if, you know, if, if we go off of uh, what the fMRI is, maybe that is, that is measuring the hydrogen nuclei, the hydrogen, you know, nucleus, molecules in the nucleus, I guess. But uh, I thought it was fascinating. And, you know, what does that mean if you, does that mean if you take, if you take foods that are high in hydrogen or, or, you know, does that mean that the more blood, obviously that means the more blood flow that goes to the brain, the more you can measure it. But what if we're eating a diet that's high in these magnetic molecules, you know, these magnetic, you know, uh, like our vet, obviously vegetables seem to be higher, you know, and it kind of gets back to our diet, which, which... You know, and here we go. I'm going off the deep end here, which would take us to Terence McKenna's idea of the the mutagenic diet, you know, being the stoned ape theory. You know how we moved out of the savanna in in a in a rush for a ever dwindling food source. We decided to try new things, and we came upon these mushrooms that 
you know, help expand the size of our brain. You know, I, I believe Paul Stamens has recently done or recently brought up the stoned ape theory and is kind of putting it back out for people to redigest. And I hope that there's, I mean, Lord knows there's a lot of people smarter than me and I hope people can revisit that. I, I think that there's maybe some substance to it and, and uh, I, I think just the way that it's helping people at John Hopkins and, and, and helping some of our veterans you know, deal with things better and maybe even repairing actual brain damage, it's, it's, it's fascinating. So that's the, the first book that we talked about was Manly P. Hall's. And I want to kind of just meander down this pathway of plausibility, if you will, and, and move forward with this theme of magnetism and consciousness and, and tie the first book to some other books I read. And uh, so in my previous videos, I spoke a bit about Julian Jaynes' origin of, or breakdown of the bicameral mind. He makes the claim that about 3,000 years ago, you know, we weren't really conscious. We had the corresponding parts of Broca's area and Wernicke's area on the opposite side of the of brain. He believes that that uh, you know. Let me just kind of paraphrase a little bit more from from what I've written down on my notes here. It says. Uh, Jane suggests that the right hemisphere's lack of language capacity is because it used to be used for something else. Specifically, it was the source of admonitory images funneled to the speech centers on the left side of the brain. These manifested themselves as hallucinations that helped guide humans through situations that required complex responses, decisions, and statecraft, for instance or whether or not to go on a risky journey. So he's saying that societal pressures and that overpopulation and just the changes on the planet caused the evolution of the speech centers to shift. Um, I wanted to add to that a little bit. I, I, I think there's a, there's a magnetism component to that. You know, and I know I'm going kind of woo-woo here, but you know, what effects does magnetism really have on the brain? There's quite a few studies that talk about the, you know, the transcranium, the transcranium magnetic hat that you'll see some biohackers wear. Or, uh, you know, there's been a recent study where people put a magnet behind their ear and it, it influences their decision making after just, you know, 30 minutes. They're, they're more, more, uh, they're less risk adverse. They'll they'll take chances. They'll do things they wouldn't do, and it just got me thinking. You know, what effect does the magnetic field have on us? Have on our brain? Have on consciousness? Have on expanding consciousness? And you know what? There there's so many little things that point towards the magnetic field fundamentally changing the way we are as humans. And so I just want to kind of point out a few of them and I'm going to go over some more books and some, some anecdotal evidence. Um, you know, if you look at the map here, you know, you guys see that there? If you go throughout history, you know, 
doesn't it always kind of seem like the northern hemisphere is always kind of beaten up on the southern hemisphere? You know, if you read von Clausewitz or Sun Tzu, all these generals, like, it's always the northern hemisphere beaten up on the southern hemisphere. Could it be that it's the North Pole, that the, the, the magnetic field of the North Pole that causes people to be maybe more technically savvy? Is that possible? Well, according to our friends Albert Roy Davis and Walter Rawls, They've done extensive work on magnetic fields and plant growth, magnetic fields and animals. And if, if you get a chance to read this book, it's called The Magnetic Blueprint of Life, Albert Roy Davis, Walter C. Rawls. And they, they actually get into some of the research they do. There's a, another pretty popular YouTuber that's done some amazing experiments. And if you just pop in this guy, I forgot his name, but if you just pop in this book, he'll probably come up. He's done some amazing seed experiments where he'll take a, a mason jar and he'll put a, uh, you know, a high-powered magnet with the North Pole facing down and then another high-powered magnet with the South Pole facing down on little seedlings. And it's, it's pretty interesting to see what happens to those particular seedling, seedlings, the way they fruit, the way they grow, the way they don't grow, the abnormalities that happen to them. And I think it's kind of consistent with, you know, the north side of the magnet having a profound effect on the way things grow. So if it's true for, you know, the research in this book, if it's true for, for plants, if it's true for, for uh, you know, animals, uh, it's probably true for us, right? I think that the earth grows humans the way a tree grows apples, so... That's another book that you might want to check out and, and just kind of adds to my theory about how magnetism tends to, you know, shape our consciousness, shape our language maybe. And so as we keep moving forward on our, on our theory of magnetism, North Poles and South Poles, and our theory of how magnetism can change consciousness, I wanted to go over a couple other books that uh kind of fit this whole the whole thing that i'm talking about obviously we've already talked about julian Jaynes and uh the different speech centers and this guy was a real genius he got to pick this book up it's it's amazing it'll 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 make you stay up at night i know it did me like you just you can't sleep thinking about it it's like gosh how come this isn't how come everyone doesn't know this why don't we teach this in schools so uh, moving right along, there's, a, there's another one that I really think everyone, if you haven't read, uh, this guy right here, uh, Worlds in Collision, Emmanuel Velikovsky. I don't know why kids don't read this. My kid's going to read this. This is, this is probably what happened. You know, If you believe like I believe, then you believe that the stories that were told to some of the... Uh, Indian, the indigenous people all around the world were actually history. You know, we, we write them off. We write off these, like the Hopis creation stories and some of the Mayas and the, the indigenous people's creation stories are probably closer to the truth than anything that, well, I want to be careful. 
they're just as good as what the scientists have brought us, right? I, sometimes I think that science is the, the, you know, un, the unwavering belief in the, in the ignorance of experts. You know, they have all these, oh, this is definitely what happened, and this is definitely what happened, and there's all these conflicts of interest, and if you look at our history, whether it's, you know, Galileo, Copernicus, it seems like we always get it wrong. And if we always get it wrong, isn't it fair to say that we're probably wrong now? You know, I heard a great quote one time that was, you know, the world is not only stranger than you imagine, it's stranger than you can imagine. And so basically what we're suffering from is a lack of imagination. We have all these people that go to schools that in order to get their degree, they have to repeat what someone else someone else's livelihood depends on. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big conflict of interest. So there's another one that kind of fits our narrative. You know, the path of the pole, our good friend Charles Hapgood. And, you know, the reason him and Velikovsky are, are kind of tied together is because of the, they both believe in catastrophic events that shaped the world. You know, modern day geology and modern day science tend to write off catastrophism as as just foolishness just tomfoolery however i the more that i read about it you know and emmanuel velikovsky has a series of books like this is just one of them i'll, I'll show you some other ones that that uh you know i know joe rogan's a pretty popular guy and he's had randall carlson on and, and graham hancock and you know these emmanuel velikovsky i think is probably you know, Graham Hancock is just scratching the surface of what Velikovsky talked about. If, if you like Graham Hancock, if you like Russell Carlson or Randall Carlson, then you'll, you'll love this guy. So this is Worlds in Collision, Ages in Chaos, um, Earth in Upheaval, Emmanuel Velikovsky. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the hard, hard copies and if you get a first edition. You know, they have the new ones that are paper, but there's something about reading the actual hard copy and, you know... They, they just talk about how, and this is kind of out there too, but the amount of footnotes, the amount of research that Velikovsky did, it, it'll blow your mind. It'll blow your mind. And I highly recommend you guys all take an opportunity to pick up those books because it, 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 it's fascinating. That's, that's what I'll kind of go into a little bit. Um, so if, if, you can, if you can walk with me down this potential path of catastrophic events that shape the world and you know at least say hey it's possible george that that, that could have happened let me ask you this how does that change the magnetic field how does that change the the polarity the the, the electromagnetic field of our planet and what did that do to our brains i believe it was i my opinion that i've come to after reading a bunch of these books and i think that the the, the thread that ties them all together is that the, you know, 500,000 years ago or 2 million years ago, however, whoever you want to read to or believe that the human brain was radically increased by three times in volume, I think it was electromagnetism. I, th I think it was the electromagnetic field that changed, that rapidly changed and is still changing today. That is what is shaping the evolution of consciousness. 
Now I know that conscious is a broad term, so let me try to break it down. I think that is what is changing the chemistry in our brain. You know, clearly as, as we move through the, like the procession of the equinox, as we move through the different, through Leo, Sagittarius, as we go through these different houses, there's different magnetic fields there. And, you know, it, I think one way to, to prove this theory, and I, I haven't done this yet, this is all just wild speculation, but it's fun for me and I, I enjoy talking about it. You know, I've got a couple books and what I'm gonna try to do is I'm gonna try to go back and, you know, you can actually see if you read like Philo Judaeus and if you read some of the Homeric verses, you can, and, and Velikovsky especially, you can find out what constellations were in the sky and you can kind of get an idea of what the heavens look like at that point in time. And if you can do that, if you could find out where we were at that time in the cosmic year and what house we were in, you'll have an idea potentially of what the magnetic field, what, what area, at least today, the magnetic field is in that area and where the earth was in that area. And then, then you can go forward and, and you know, start making guesses about, oh, well, this is the fluff we're moving through or this is the cloud we're moving through now. And you know, the research is, is in its infancy as far as cosmic magnetic fields, cosmic magnetic resonances. But I believe there's something there. I believe that's what all these books point to. Um, you know, here's another good one too. Uh, this is called Atlantis, the Antediluvian World, the classic illustrated edition of 1882 by Ignatius Donnelly. And, uh, you know, this kind of ties in with Graham Hancock as well. And, he, you know, here we have potentially, you know, what could be, what could have been Atlantis here. You know, here's the, you know, the Strait of Gibraltar down here. And if you read Timaeus or listen to what Solon was told by the Egyptians, you know, a lot of speculation is that there was something here. But there was a giant flood, and in a day, the most advanced society, one of the most advanced societies the Earth has ever known, is boom, gone. And if you read Emmanuel Velikovsky, he'll give you the reasons why that happened. You know, and it's, it's a catastrophic event that happened. You know, Graham Hancock talks a lot about... Uh, the pyramids and some of the hieroglyphics on the pyramids. And he talks about Gobekli Tepe and, and Quetzalcoatl and, and, you know, there's always one part that I'm thinking of right now is that on all the pyramids, there's this, you know, the, uh, let's see, remember this one here, kind of map of the ancient sea Kings. Hmm. Doesn't that sound like a seafaring, a seafaring race? And, you know, this is the book where they have, they have all the shores, all the little inlets, all the bays of, um, you know, I don't know if you can see it on my map down here. Probably not. But they have the whole Antarctic, Antarctic map, all the bays, and, you know, Lord knows what's going on down there. But apparently somebody was mapping that. And that's the map that came from, like the Perez map that came from possibly the Library of Alexandria. And, but the reason this book is so important is that it, it continues to tie together all the previous books that we've talked about. It, talks, it ties this 
to Velikovsky. Velikovsky, this to the, you know, this is the same as Charles Hapgood's Path of the Poles. And they all could have radically changed the, the obviously they changed the North, the North Pole, the South Pole, but more than that, some of the, some of the catastrophic events they've talked about are, you know, planet-sized bodies buzzing us. Just, you know, think about the one that landed down here in the Yucatan, right? That they think maybe caused all the dinosaurs to die. And, you know, didn't there have to be a lot less gravity for dinosaurs to be that big? You know, wouldn't that change the magnetic field? And what about the Tuskegee event? Like, and if you... If you tie that, I know it's speculation, but if you tie that up here with, you know, our, our good friend Plato and they talk about the fall of man and the men of gold, men of silver, men of iron, men of brass. And, you know, is it possible that maybe as our planet makes its way through the, through the cosmic year, as it goes around the, the galaxy, just like there's seasons for temperature, I'm sh there's, there's definitely hot spots of magnetic fields or low spots of magnetic fields or Birkeland currents or, you know, as we move and we make our way twisting and winding through the galaxy, the effects of the magnetic fields have to have a profound effect, not only on the planets, but the inhabitants of the planets. And that's, that's the point I'm, I'm trying to make here is, is speculation and just, it's the one current I see going through all these books that no one really talks about. I'm not even sure if, if modern you know, celestial mechanics makes an account for the electric universe. Uh, that being said, as I bring up the electric universe, this right here, if, if you're not familiar with Purple Dawn theory or Saturn theory, uh, Theodore Holden and Troy D. McLaughlin They've written a book called Cosmos in Collision, The Prehistory of Our Solar System and the Modern Man. And this book, I mean, trust me, this is, this is one you definitely want to pick up. It's, it talks about where all the water on our planet came from, and it's pretty deep. And I, I, wanted, I kind of want to give you a little bit about it, but I don't want to butcher it. These, these guys have really gone out of their way to do research and you, and you can go online and listen to some of their podcasts and listen to some of their speeches and just the way they tie everything together. Let me just show it to you guys again. So it's, it's Cosmos in Collision and it's by, there you go, Theodore Holden and Troy McLaughlin. Um, yeah, so I, I think there's something there, you know, from, <laughs> so we've, let's just, let me just show you where we've gone to. Uh, we've gone from Manly P. Hall, Secret Teachings of All Ages, to Velikovsky, to Ignatius Donnelly, to Charles Hapgood, Graham Hancock. Um, we've, we've covered quite a bit there. And I, don't, I know we're kind of deep in the woods and we've done our experiment with magnets and mushrooms and tied that to what the experiments they're doing at John Hopkins. So, yeah, uh, let me know what you guys think. I know it's kind of out there, and the, my theory is clearly not, you know, uh, 
as solid as it should be. I'm still going to work on it, and I'm still learning this whole YouTube thing, so I'm going to try to put stuff in the show notes. I haven't really got all that stuff figured out yet, but I'm fascinated by this, and I hope somebody out there is too. I think that the answers are there for us. I think that we are entering a time in which people are getting smarter. You know, people are are changing. The, the pace of change is rapidly increasing. And I, I think that it's, it's time for, you know, readers are leaders. Readers are leaders. And there's so many people that are just, you know, doing what they're told to do and, and, and not doing their own research that it's, it's, a, it's a good time for people like us to just read books and come up with our theories and put them out there and debate them. And, and uh, you know, uh, let me just show you one other one that gave me the idea to look at the, you know, the celestial um, or the, the, the different patterns in the sky at different times. Uh, this guy right here is Anatoly Fomenko. And uh, he's wrote a series of books called History, Fiction, or Science. There's a particular, this guy's a, he's a mathematician. And I, I believe that he studied this thing called parameter D, which is, which is a, you know, it's a, it's a problem that talks about the time of eclipses of the moon. And he, if you read uh, Anatoly Fomenko's History of Fiction or Science, Volume 1, he'll go into and he will, and he will uh, elucidate. He will back up with facts. And uh, he will go into some reasons why the timeline that we currently work under is got a lot of holes in it. Uh, it's hard to beat a Russian mathematician. You know, those guys are uh, where some of the greatest minds have come from. Um, so, yeah, anyways, let me know what you guys think. Um, super stoked to be doing some videos, and I, I hope, if anything at all, maybe my video made you laugh or it, it made you think about something or, you know, it gave you an experiment you can do at home with with – magnets and vegetables or magnets and mushrooms and just give you an idea of, of what's happening out there and, and what you can do at home to test out different states of consciousness and, you know, do your own trip, come up with your own reasons why things are happening and, and let me know what you think. So thank you guys. I appreciate your time. I hope you're having a great day and we'll see you again a little bit later. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, 
a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.